today, I believe we will finish up the preaching, and I say the teaching, although Tim was teaching on pride, and it sounds like he's got a second session tomorrow on that, and uh, it's good, a lot of the same verses, um, but there's going to be a little bit different angle today, you're going to see, uh, and it'll make sense, the picture that I have up here as we begin to build the message. Um, but since there's been a bit of attendance inconsistency in our church over the last few weeks, some due to sickness, uh, having babies, <laughs> and other reasons, so I want to briefly go over what I preached on about pride the last couple of weeks. First, we looked at two great transgressions of pride out of Psalm 19, particularly verse 13 in our Bible. The first was the action of Adam and Eve that brought sin into our world. What a humongous transgression that was. Sin that brought all the bad things into this world of what was a perfect, sinless, wonderful world. The sin ruined the environment and every person born in this world. It was sin that man had no solution for. Sin that man alone cannot overcome. It's horrible effects in life. Sin that will bring our death here on earth and would take us to eternal hell after our death, called the second death. This is the first great transgression of pride we talked about. Now, though man was totally incapable of saving himself, God, in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to have all mankind's sins put upon him to suffer and to die a horrible death by crucifixion, that every person in this world could be forgiven of their sins by believing in Jesus Christ by faith and crowning Him Lord and King of their life. The second great transgression then is the pride or the action of anyone not believing on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm going to be pretty firm here now. Uh, you're going to say, well, you know, everybody's saved here. You know, well, I don't know. Does, is everybody saved here? I, I don't know. I can't say that. That's up to you. Um, there's uh, obviously some children that need to be saved at some point in their life. And this is on our church website. And there may be somebody who just happens, <laughs> just happens to click on this message. Somebody who's a sinner needs to be saved. And so I'm just going to give it to you straight. What makes this transgression so great a pride is that they have exalted themselves above God and His Word. If you are not saved, you may have not thought about it this way, but in your heart you are calling God a fool for sending His Son for you. You have denied His love, and it is unforgivable. You are doomed to a short, meaningless life here and eternity in hellfire, and it is proper justice. Last week, we looked at the opposite of pride, humility. We observed six men in the Bible that could generally be considered examples of humility. This past week, <laughs> I was talking to God about how to deal. I was just kind of torn. I just knew I was... I was wrong and trying to figure out how to 
deal with a frustrating, difficult relationship issue. I felt like God said to me, I'll put it in harsh words, though he's, he's always so kind, but really he said, try practice what you preached last week. To like Noah, just keep building and preaching no matter what the response is. Like Job, defend God at all costs. Like Abraham, be willing to do the hard things for God. Like Joseph, serve everyone over you in authority and under you in authority. Like Moses, take care of the family of God even when they bite. I said, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's good advice, God. <laughs> this week we're going to look at the many facets of pride in our lives. If you could, with me although you don't have to use your imagination too much because I have it on the board, but for those who do not have the opportunity who are listening but cannot see, imagine a large wheel with many spokes as I preach the message called Wheel of Pride. Wheel of Pride. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are going to see, no doubt, unless somebody is totally blind to it, uh, pride is in all of us in so many ways and different avenues. And so, Father, we need you. We need your help in this area in our life. And, uh, Lord, may we see this in perspective today, though. May we, may we see it so that we can understand it, so that we can deal with it, and we can live for you and for others in this life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Though through last week I was meditating on this message for today and I was putting my thoughts together, I imagined a wheel with many spokes. I kind of like, I have a tendency to like have pictures in my mind. So I'm kind of dumping my mind out here. Um, because I began just writing things down, it just kind of turned into a wheel. So I imagine me or you or whoever, this is you in the hub. All right? And each spoke as a unique relationship in our life, and we'll go over those one by one. You know, in order for a wheel to roll right, each spoke must be correctly attached to the hub at one end and secured and properly tensioned to the rim at the opposite end. I had a bike that we were, I wasn't able to sell it at the yard sale. I would probably take anything for it. It actually looks like a nice bike, it has multiple speeds on it. I had to take the back brakes off of it, though, just disconnect it. Because the wheel, when you turn it, does this. <laughs> now, I haven't messed with a lot of bikes, but they are pretty interesting if you really think about it. Just these little tiny wires holding the hub to the rim. But they're all tensioned and pulled together. I, I'm guessing that some of these spokes are, are out of whack and needs to be pulled together. I used to have, you know, when I was a kid, I fooled around with bikes when I had time. I had a little uh, wrench for them, but I never did really master, you know, how that all was supposed to work and pull that in. But until that straightened out, I have no back brakes on that 
bike. And it wobbles. I got it to where it wobbles just enough where it doesn't hit the side of the frame. You guys know what I'm talking about. So it rolls. Um, but you try to put the brakes on it, and the brakes don't move. So it just rubs and squeaks and uh, all sorts of things. So it's kind of like our relationships, I think. You know, we, we have our life is like a wheel that rolls. And as I began to develop this in my mind's eye as a tool to understand pride, another thought came to me. Pride is always reflected in improper relationships. In other words, and I don't know if you've thought about this before, but pride always has an attachment to somebody. For example, suppose you were the only person on an island and you said, I am the smartest, richest, best-looking guy on the island. That sounds prideful. But really, you're just telling the truth because you're the only one on the island. There's no comparison. However, just put one more person on that island and that statement becomes a prideful statement because that statement involves a comparison within a relationship. A comparison that assumes that you are better than somebody else. Look at Adam and Eve. We discussed that it was pride that caused them to eat what God forbade them to eat. Another word for pride is presumption. They presumed, here's what they presumed, that God was not always right. God is always right. <laughs> Their pride was reflected in an improper relationship with God. This improper relationship with God was witnessed by the awareness of their nakedness before God. And nakedness is the revelation of an improper relationship. Many times God uses the term nakedness as a shame of behavior. Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, okay, this is poetic, lest he walk naked and they see a shame. Revelation 3.16, talking about the church at Laodicea, we talked about that. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So we have a hub that represents you. The spokes are the various relationships we have. Whenever we have pride, it affects our relationships. And like bad spokes on a wheel, it will give us all sorts of trouble. Let's talk about the first spoke, your God spoke. Oh, bad G. Your God spoke. First of all, who is your God? You are born 
being your own God. I brought this. It's the best I had, folks. This is how you were born. You are king of your life. You're born speaking lies. <laughs> and you, even though your parents, young ones, may tell you what you do and you try to be obedient, you make the decisions. Okay? You are God of your life. We'll get into that a little bit more here. We could see this form of God's this, this from God's own words after Adam and Eve sinned. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. To know good and evil. Satan was correct in his statement, actually, to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Some have chosen to believe on Jesus Christ and make Him king and ruler of their life once again. This message today is for you because it's based on what God says. So when we take the crown off and we crown Jesus Christ, you know He came. They thought He was coming to be king and to set up and to be over everybody. But he came that you might make him king of your life. That you might take your crown off, give that crown to Jesus Christ, and allow him to live in your heart and to rule and to reign. This message has no meaning to you if you haven't done that. <laughs> because it's all about what God says. For those who remain as king and ruler of your life, I plead with you to trust Christ as your Savior. This is the message for you today. It is the message you must submit to. You say, but it does not appear that anyone here is not saved. And I talked about this. Who knows where this message might go? I'm just giving you what I felt God put in my heart to put down. Both saved and unsaved people will roll through life. However, the saved will roll through life with the ability to overcome by God's word. They will be able to find a peace beyond human understanding when life gets tough. Their life will be one of meaning, one of security, one of love, hope, and promise of perfection in heaven one day. Our wheel is like a wheel with a shock absorber. Or think of a tube versus those who are unsaved. It's just like a heart, like you watch the Amish go down with that hard rim going down the road, you know, that's a, a loud, noisy, difficult uh, thing. Though we must travel through difficulty just like the unsaved. We all go through, you know, sometimes there's misconception. You get saved and your life gets better. No, we still have a lot of problems. And actually, we probably add problems to our life pers called persecution because we don't, just don't glide with the world. All of a sudden, we have another bump that we need to talk or deal with. Though we must travel through these, just like the unsaved, the peace of God, the knowledge that God is in control of its direction, this wheel's direction, and its final destination, it takes the shock out of life. That's what trusting God does in this, this life. It, 
It helps you to absorb, to understand, to roll over all those things that you're going to go through. All people die. I mean, um, we have difficulties with that. We have, we all have physical situations. We have problems. But life, life's wheel for the unsaved is best described in the book of Exodus as the Egyptians pursued the Hebrews through the Red Sea. Now, I've got a ton of scriptures. Don't even try to catch up. You can get the message. You can write them down. Exodus 14, 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning, watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Now it says, anybody who looks on God's face shall not live. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Now I've left off first an important verse looking at our wheel here. It said, and took off their chariot wheels. And they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Isaiah 31.1 Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Pride is kind of represented here in the horsemen and in the chariots. Their strength and what man can do and what we can do, everything we can put together. Isaiah 13, 11, And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Now Psalm 27 says, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What I'm saying is this. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your wheels are about to come off in a place where there is no escape. In the pride of your own strength, God's wall of judgment is going to compass you and overtake you in a moment when there's none to help. None will escape. We talked about uh, the Edomites today. It was done. Judgment came upon them. But to the saved, as we get into our wheel here, Let's examine that spoke in your wheel. What is your relationship with God? No matter what. And John will know where I'm going with this. 
does he do all things well? Mark 7, 37, and they were beyond measure astonished, saying he hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Is God perfect in your relationship? Is that how you view him? Is he unable to make a mistake? Is he high and mighty and all-powerful? Is he in complete control of everything in your life? Is it your joy to praise him in the midst of any circumstance? Now, I'm not going to extend this point any further, but I'll give you a mandatory homework assignment. And maybe somebody can help me out with this. Maybe a tech guy. To do a Google search on David Gibbs. He's a lawyer from Christian Law Association. His story will humble you. It will show you the place of humility in your relationship with God. It's very funny. It's very entertaining at the same time, very serious and very real and amazing. He challenges you by asking, where do you live? May I say, when you listen to this, and it's about an hour long, but you won't feel like it's an hour. Any other place than this place he describes, which comes out of Psalm 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Any other place than that is a place of pride. Our spoke gets out of whack when we are not lined up with God properly. So David Gibbs, The Secret Place, the YouTube video. Uh, if you would, just send that out to, to everybody. Now, let's talk about another rung. Oh, is that an ass? Blame it on engineering. That's just pride, though. <laughs> uh, your spouse. Husbands, do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Have you given your entire life for her? Okay, wives. Have you reverenced your husband like Sarah calling her husband Lord? If you have not, you have defaced the very image of God's love. You've missed what your marriage is supposed to represent. Divorce was never the plan of God. It was man's choice above God in pride because of the hardness of heart. God says to do it this way regardless we say, but. And he's allowed us to have the hardness of our heart, and that's why divorce was allowed. But even when contentions arise between couples, this is a place of pride. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom, Proverbs 13.10. Who are the well-advised? Those who have the witness of God's spirit indwelling in them, the same. 
people. The Spirit gives wisdom. What is wisdom? Seeing things from God's perspective. Overcoming pride is listening to the Spirit of God's Word and applying it. Okay, so here's an easy one, maybe a strange one to think about. But how is your relationship to yourself? We all have an opinion of ourselves, don't we? <laughs> the Bible says in Romans 12, 3, Paul speaking, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. Now we're all familiar with this kind of pride. It's merely trying to believe that you are better than somebody else. Pride, commonly thinking more of yourself, self-exaltation, which leads to increased difficulty you'll find in life because you're challenged to maintain it. You manifest it by putting on of airs Lying, acting, called hypocrisy, that's what hypocrisy is, acting like something that you're not. High comparison to others, counting what you have, how much, etc. A drive to gain more, to be higher than others. That's the world's lot, folks. But personal pride can, as we talked about this morning, can be disguised as humility. Not seeing yourself as good as, as pretty as, or as smart as. This comes out in, I will never, I can't, I'm not that good. What's, what's the use? Poor me. And that sounds like, oh, somebody who's humble. <laughs> no, that's just another form of pride. <laughs> the self-deprecating of oneself is not good. It's, it's a very destructive form of pride. Moses, we talked about him in general. He, he was known as the meekest man on earth, at least at his day. But he struggled in both areas with underestimating himself. In Exodus 4.10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since, that thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. I can't, I can't, I can't, I just can't do this, even though you tell me I can't. I can't, I can't. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Here's miserable, difficult things in life, and he says, I've done it. And he does all things well. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth. And teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, 
Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. <laughs> he had about being too low. I'll tell you, when we hit it right, I mean, we can be too low or we can be too high. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to look. He also had about that cost him the opportunity of all things that he would have wanted to do is to go into the promised land. Numbers 27, and this is the meekest man, and man, he went over on the other side of pride here. He says, take the rod and gather the assembly together. Thou, God speaking, and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, <laughs> what he should say, this is what God said. Let's hearken unto the Lord. Let's believe on him. That's a, that's a, that was pretty much Moses, how Moses always was. But now he says, hear now ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. That rock was a picture of Christ. Christ is only smitten once. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Yeah, it cost Aaron too. Even the meekest man on earth was not immune from pride. This form of underestimating your worth as well as overestimating your worth both produce, you know what that produces? Insecure people. You see it all the time. You got the bold guy who thinks he's got the voice and he's over the top and he's insecure. I'll tell you, he's insecure. Those who are thinking about it, they're insecure. When we know God, we understand that each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God makes no mistakes. We just read some of the things he's done. There's no mistakes. We have a unique purpose in life and designed to fill it, and so does every other person. You are you, and there is none like you. A place of humility is understanding that you are made perfect in God's eyes and this becomes your security. True security is in God. This next relationship that we need to concern ourselves concerning pride is how do we view others? Some of these are longer than others. <laughs> we'll get through them here, I believe. Oh my goodness. It's 5 till 12. Ah. We have the same issue of overestimating others and underestimating others. Pride forms when putting people down. Sometimes Christians look down at non-Christians or even other Christians. Or they have these standards, and, but they don't have our standards, and those kind of ugly things. You know, Christianity is not something to be proud about. It's actually something to be humble about. 
you've admitted that you're a lousy, no good sinner before God. It's by humility that we get saved. And that should cause a burden and a care and a love for others to tell them the truth and love, to pray and hope for their salvation. It's not something to beat somebody up with. You were there. You were once unsaved. You ought to know. You ought to know where they're at. I was a cusser. Man, when you grow up the little one in the, with all the big ones in the group, you try to make up for it and cussing and stuff. When people cuss, depending on what the company is and how that, I remember where I was. And they're unsaved. They're doing what they're supposed to do. I don't get up in their face and shove it down their throat. For one, they're not going to understand it. If I need to love them, I need to see them as an unsaved person. The flip side of pridefully viewing others is when we exalt them more than what they should be exalted. In the entertainment world, especially, we fall into pride when we make heroes or superstars. We put other men's name on our backs. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Numbers such and such, and here's his name on the back, and we walk down the road with some man's name on our back. Come on. We try to get their autographs. Autograph? We emulate them, try to be like them trying to be like someone else. Fads and fashions prey on this. This is the devil's world, folks. Superstar worship. Now let me get down, hit, some, hit right where we're at. I told you we're going hit, to hit the road right where we're at. The Collingsworth guy lives in our neighborhood. <laughs> Woo! Exaltation of preachers. Man, he's a great preacher. You know, these are the great, you know. Whatever. But I'm not, not in the sense of admiring and learning from. Those are good. I'm not putting that down. And some people have earned some honor in life. But guess who I saw the other day? Pete Rose. I saw Marty Brenneman, the president. Now, I'm not talking, again, about giving honor for position and achievement, but kind of worshiping them as something great, like they're above Man, you know, these are the tops. Uh, there's only one worthy of praise and worship, and that's God. To honor someone because of position or performance, there's a fine line between honor and worship that many of us cross over on. Moms, there's a fine line between a heart of service and a heart to impress when you clean fervently when company is coming. <laughs> we are not in the business of impressing. We are in the business of serving. Pride comes in there quite a bit. There's quite a few examples of pride in relationship with others. A classic in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3, 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, you see it today, you know, people brag on 
certain things. He says, are you not carnal? It's not about raising men up. In the Old Testament, I'm reminded of Hezekiah. 2 Kings 20.12, at that time, I should have you pronounce this, Tim. You're good at pronouncing this. Barotashalbaladan, the son of Baladan, Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Here's the world. Sent a nice little letter to him. You know, be careful when the world comes and buddies up to you and, and so forth. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things. Let me show you what I got. The silver and the gold and the spices, the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. Now, let me tell you, Babylon is not a good place. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. What pride. Why, what, why does it, you don't have to show the world anything. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that in all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And the sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Eunuchs, that means your name dies. They ain't having any children. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? What a sore statement. Pride. Hezekiah was pretty mean in so many ways in what he did. I guess I'm going to have to make another message, folks. The other wheels spokes of the wheel so with the pianist coming heads bowed and eyes closed biggest pride is not trusting Christ because you're a king but we're preaching because he is king, and this is what the king says to us. What is our relationship to God? What is our relationship to our spouse? How do you see yourself, and how do you view others? <laughs> There's enough here to put guilt on any of us. This is just the beginning of this really single message here, but I'm not going to hold you up this morning. Next week we'll finish it up and we'll see the perspective of it. But what has God spoke to you about? 
today already, just in these first four spokes. In the quietness of your heart, God speaking to you. That's the only thing that matters right now. I've spoken words, but my words mean nothing. God's word to you means everything. Whatever he has pointed out to you, in whatever perhaps obscure way, you need to deal with it. Thank you for your attention this morning. I pray just God just did something for you this morning. Uh, enjoyed singing the songs and just fellowship and just joying in the goodness of God. Um, actually, the rest of the other spokes we'll be talking about will be subpoints of others, just different kinds of relationships, kind of like your spouses and others. Um, but it'll be interesting to see see some of these. And what we're going to find out, I'll just give you the forewarning. Pride is big in our lives. It's, it's, it's a big monster. And, uh, but there's a perspective to it. So come next week so you can get the perspective on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Thank, thank you that it speaks to our hearts, that we have the Holy Spirit. We can trust your word. We can trust your Holy Spirit but we must obey it. We must do the difficult things if we're to be humble servants to you, God. I pray that each one would listen to the message from David Gibbs. Um, just a tremendous message and a life story that's an amazing thing and explains a lot of things in his life. And uh, just pray that um, we would be moved by that. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.